Welcome back to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, titled Sodium Reduction, Time for Choice. Well, thank you to uh, Jeremiah, to Molly, and to Christine. We have an opportunity now for participation from our audience and welcome comments or questions for the panel. We would ask that you keep your comments or questions brief and focused, that you identify yourself by name and your organization, and please feel free to pose questions for the panel. Leonard Orban, CDC. One here is that the Japanese consume a lot of salt but don't have as much problem with hypertension and cardiovascular disease. How would you respond to that statement? There has been a very valuable historical experience in Japan, which from the late 50s had among the highest rates of stroke mortality of any country in the world. Sodium reduction has decreased very sharply in Japan and corresponding reductions in stroke mortality. I think this is one of the leading examples of what can be achieved at a national level by systematic efforts to reduce sodium intake. Thanks for the question. One question that I could mention just while others are thinking of points they'd like to raise. Christine referred to the experience of the New York Salt Reduction Initiative in setting a baseline for sodium excretion through use of a 24-hour urine collection. There's been a lot of discussion of that strategy. We are discussing it with our colleagues in NCHS as to a possible addition to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. So it'd be interesting to know your experience with New Yorkers in collecting 24-hour urine samples, which you apparently uh, instituted with some success. Sure. Yeah, this was uh, exciting because it was the first time it had really been done in sort of an urban setting and in a way that wasn't clinic-based. So often 24-hour urine collection is begun in a clinic and then people continue it at home. But we were actually mailing the collection kits to people in their own homes, which was an unusual protocol and required a lot of kind of supporting materials and development to make sure that people could follow the protocol at home. And then a technician came to their home at the end to um, take the weight, height, and blood pressure measurements. And we're really pleased that we had a great response rate. We feel like people followed the protocol well based on our ability to look at the volume and the time for collection. And we think it shows that it really can be done um, in other settings. Good. Thank you. Other questions? Question for Christine Johnson. I wondered if you had estimated what level of impact your intervention may be expected to have and whether you'll anticipate being able to detect that, either from the survey that you described or from uh, broader population measures such as trends in cardiovascular disease. Sure. So it's kind of two pieces. One is when we think about our overall goal of that 20% reduction in population sodium intake, we're really working at the national level, so it would be a national level impact. And we haven't modeled it specifically, but we refer often to the Bibbins-Domingo paper from last year that looked at reductions of one, two, and three grams of salt per day and what the impact would be in terms of lives saved and also healthcare cost savings. And that 20% reduction in sodium is about a 1.7 gram reduction in terms of salt. So you can kind of use that to get an idea of what the impact might be at a national level. 
In terms of at the um, New York City level, we did look at sort of a percentage change that we would be able to detect over four or five years, and we based that on a change seen in the UK. And as I mentioned in my presentation, the UK had a salt reduction campaign that's been in place for about the last five years. We modeled it after them, and one of the things we were really impressed by was that they collected 24-hour urine, and they'd seen a decrease. And so we looked at the decrease they saw, which was about 4%, and looked at that as a potential um, effect that we might see. Thank you. Molly, did you want to add something about uh, monitoring and surveillance to assess the impact of future interventions? Sure. So at CDC, some of the efforts that we're carrying forth include adding biological markers to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, as Dr. Labarth had indicated earlier. But we're also looking at the possibility of using spot urines from either previous NHANES or going forward to measure sodium or changes in sodium over time, just because these measures don't rely on self-report. Thank you. So salt is an important vehicle for fortification for iodine, and I'm wondering what our strategies are to maintain iodine fortification as we try to move away from salt. Is encouraging the industry to use iodized salt one opportunity? Molly? Okay, so I'll do my best to answer the iodized salt issue. In terms of changes in the iodine status of the U.S. population, in some subgroups, for example, pregnant women, they're on the low end at this point in time. In processed foods, food manufacturers do not use iodized salt. So if we're reducing the amount of sodium and salt used in processed foods, we're not going to affect the iodine intake. On a global basis, there are efforts. We recently had a meeting with the Pan American Health Organization to talk about global efforts when we're reducing salt in either processed foods or salt added at the table that we need to increase the iodization of salt. So I think in the U.S. it's not so much of an issue, but globally it really is an issue and is something that we have to think about and efforts will be made in that direction. I might just add on this point, for those who want to pursue this further, the World Health Organization website provides reports of two consultations, one in late 2006 published in April of 07, and a subsequent one in May of 07 that was published later that year. The first of those was a reiteration of WHO's longstanding recommendation that countries should adopt policies seeking consumption of salt less than five grams per day or lower if that policy was already in place. But they gave attention to the iodine issue. The second meeting was specifically to bring experts together from both the cardiovascular side and the iodine deficiency diseases side to try to reconcile their policies. The iodization policy requires consumption of 10 grams of salt containing iodine in order to meet the daily iodine requirement where that is part of the public health strategy. Clearly, that in addition to whatever salt is contained in processed and restaurant foods represents a policy collision. 
detailed discussion and substantiated by documents in the report make clear that this is not an unavoidable conflict, that it is possible to increase the saturation of iodine in salt to achieve the target intake of iodine within a 5-gram salt intake. But it does require universal salt iodization, which is use of iodized salt in preparation of manufactured foods. Other questions or comments? Yes. A number of the companies on your list, in a growing list, I presume, are international in scope. Is there any discussion at all of other parts of the world benefiting from the progress that you're making? And I presume the progress you are making is a commitment to national change, so it's not a different set of Cheerios being distributed in LA versus New York, but I mean, sort of extending that, is there any way to get commitments for other parts of the world? I, I presume Canada and others are interested in joining force. So yes, all the commitments are for national changes, and that's why it's really so key that we have all these cities and states that have signed on, like California, New York State, Massachusetts, just to have all these states kind of represented at the table when we're talking to industry. They would not make yet changes for just one region. We definitely do stay in close touch with both the UK and Canada and discuss sodium reduction with Australia because there are a lot of different initiatives on sodium reduction. That said, there's kind of two components. One is companies learn a lot about sodium reduction when they do it in one country, and sometimes that transfers. But all the companies have different product formulations for each country, and so it isn't if they make a change in one product, crackers here, this exact same brand in Canada, they have to go through their own testing and own consumer approval process there. So there aren't targets that could really be across the board, but I think the more that we discuss and keep in touch, the more the categories can be aligned and the more that we continue to kind of have the same process so that it helps companies kind of focus their attention on the key categories to reduce sodium. Thank you. Thank you very much for your questions and for your attention. We'd just like to close with three messages. First, as pronounced by the Institute of Medicine in their 2010 report, the levels of sodium in the food supply of the United States today are simply not safe. We have heard that they are neither necessary, that a wide range of sodium content of the same food products points to the potential to reduce the sodium content of our food supply by a large degree. We'd add, finally, that it is not defensible. If public health is doing our job, improving the conditions in which people live, assuring the environment in which people can be healthy, we will be working together to reduce the sodium content of our food supply and help the U.S. population as well as others around the world to reduce their sodium intake. Thanks very much. You have been listening to Public Health Grand Rounds from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.